Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Many who are returning to work are saying etiquette, schmetiquette. Some medical officers of health want Ontario to bring back the mask mandate. Great to see Doors Open Hamilton is making a comeback this weekend. The recovery run for youth is nearing the finish line. And the Bulldogs take game one against Mississauga. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. This is the final edition of our Future of Work series, and we've looked at some incredible topics in the past few days, including health care, the labor shortage, rules and regulations as we turn to the workplace, how the pandemic has impacted our lifestyle. And today... We're going to talk about back-to-work etiquette. Has etiquette at work gone out the window after two years of living in this pandemic? Dr. Lowena Bayer is an international civility expert and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Bayer, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Just fine. How are you? I'm good. One of the most common questions that I have received uh, over the last number of weeks, maybe even months, are handshakes and hugs in the workplace. Are they still a thing? Is it a, is it a, a no-go zone? Well, I think it depends on the workplace and it depends on you know individual uh, protocols and standards. So some workplaces we're seeing handshakes and people are back sitting close together and everything is what we would perceive as normal. Um, and then the new normal applies in some workplaces too. So there's no uh, real firm answer on that. It really depends on the workplace, but whatever you're comfortable with at this point. Talk about the mental shift about returning to the physical workspace after working from home for one or two years, however long it's been. There's there's a, a, a switch that has to be turned on or off. A switch has to be turned on, I think. Um, we're finding from our field work that a lot of people are really struggling um, to balance uh, work and life, although we talk about how it should be easier with people working from home a little bit more. The idea that we're back in a shared space, that social rules do still apply, that there are some expectations to put um, clothes on instead of pajamas when you work, that <laughs> we should be paying attention to people and focused on them uh, instead of just on our Zoom screen. Definitely, we have to switch back on. Our latest guest in the Future Work series here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Dr. Lowena Bayer, an international civility expert. We're talking about etiquette in the workplace. Uh, it's going to be awkward for some, I know, probably for many coming back at work after such a long time off, even if it's a, a hybrid model to begin with. How important is it uh, to acknowledge that awkwardness with your coworkers to say, hey, you know, it's a little funky for me to, to, to be back here after all this time? Well, I think you've hit on it there. Communication is key. Um, oftentimes, if we can look up from our phones for a few minutes and actually be present to people, uh, they give us pretty good indications of how they want to be treated and what their expectations are. And so it really is about saying, as, as you've suggested, I'm not quite comfortable yet. I'm not, I don't quite have the lay of the land. Um, tell me what works for you or here's what I'm comfortable with. And we just have to be mindful that it's an adjustment for everyone and try to come out of our own, um, you know, we're a bit self-centered and self-focused lately for some for good reason to be safe, of course, but we have to be mindful that if we're back at work, that we're accountable 
to a work team and to an employer um, and that there there are some responsibilities we have to kick back into. Yeah, that's a great point. One of the keys to keeping the COVID-19 virus at bay has been physical distancing. How does an employee handle this when they're coming back? And, and what do we do with those so-called close talkers? Well, I, I think that we have to, again, just be mindful that everybody's allowed to have their comfort zone and their preference. And um, what, what's a bit troubling now is on both sides, um, we're kind of being hard on the other side. You know, if people opt to wear a mask when it's optional, you know, I'm in some workplaces where people are, are making fun of them or, you know, you don't have to do that anymore. Or, you know, we're, we're kind of giving each other a hard time. And then the people who are not quite yet comfortable or still want to wear a mask or want to keep a distance, you know, they're giving us a hard time if we're being a little bit more um, comfortable getting back into each other's space. So um, again, it really is about being present. It's about considering the impact of our words and actions on other people. It's about looking at what the guidelines are. Every workplace has different rules. Not, not, they're not all different, but there's a range of rules we're finding across workplaces and sectors. Last one for you, Dr. Bayer. Recent polls have suggested that foul language on work Zoom meetings has escalated during the pandemic. Is that going to be acceptable at the physical workplace? Absolutely not. And it should not be acceptable on Zoom either. The same with kind of the ease about how we present. You know, you, you have to shower and put some pants on. You know, you can't just show up for work looking like you slept in your car. And um, our outward appearance impacts the way we communicate. It impacts how we use space. It impacts how we build trust. Um, and at the end of the day, productivity and, and um, morale in the workplace. So uh, we really do have to remind ourselves that um, there are social rules that apply for a reason. Absolutely. Dr. Bayer, thank you for your time today. Enjoy the weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Dr. Louina Bayer, international civility expert, weighing in on the etiquette that uh, needs to be in place as you return to the workplace. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. In our final segment in our Future of Work week-long series, Today, focusing on etiquette as we head back into the workplace, and that really extends into our wardrobe as well, because as more and more people go back to the workplace or even prepare to go back to that physical workspace, thinking about how do we go from comfy homeware to business casual? Or maybe the mindset is, hey, can I just wear my fat pants to work? Uh, we are joined by Shannon Lady, a personal shopper, a closet cleanser, and wardrobe so- stylist, and the owner of Side Note. Shannon, good morning. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Uh, it seemed like our work outfits went in the toilet pretty quickly in the early days of the pandemic. What did that tell us about the way we felt about working from home? <laughs> yeah, so I think everybody immediately went into the um like jogging pants and athleisure wear working from home and now it's kind of hard to get back out of that um so a few tips to kind of you know change your wardrobe slowly is make sure you're wearing the right fabrics so fabrics can be really comfortable um and the fit of your clothing also so you're not um, fidgeting with it that's super important as well. And you want to maybe, you know, switch out a hoodie for a cardigan. Um, there's lots of different ways that we can still incorporate casual, comfortable wear into the business attire. You mentioned the fit of your clothing. A lot of people, and I'm in this boat as well, 
put on a couple of extra pounds during the pandemic. How do we get back into fitting into the clothes we used to wear at work? Um, yeah, so if your clothes aren't fitting right now, um, you can always, obviously you can purchase new clothes. Um, but I feel like there's always clothes in your closet that you probably haven't even looked at for a couple of years that will fit you. That mindset of, uh, you know, wearing the comfy stuff seemed to transcend how we wore our hair as well. And I know that the personal care services um, businesses were closed for a while, but a, a lot of people are coming back to the workplace, I would guess, with those unique hairstyles, or has that been controlled? <laughs> um, I think it's a mix. I think um, the business world has changed quite drastically um, with it, like the pandemic and many other reasons. Uh, but yes, hair, having your hair done always makes an outfit look much more put together as well. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Shannon Lady. She is a personal shopper, a closet cleanser, a wardrobe stylist, and owner of Side Note. As we continue our Future of Work series, talking about back-to-work etiquette, and uh, certainly that applies to um, the clothes that we wear. What are the current pandemic fashion trends? Uh, <laughs> well, I feel like I call it the mullet look where people are very like if they're working from home still, it's very like business on top and comfy, cozy on the bottom. <laughs> so my rule of thumb is no matter what you are doing for the day, if you're staying home, if you're not seeing anybody, if you're going to work, get dressed fully. Um, it plays a big, huge part on your psyche and it makes you feel good. When it comes to future fashion trends at work, are we going to lean more towards the casual in the coming years or are suits and even maybe classic business attire going to make a comeback? Yes. Uh, so as mentioned, I think it's kind of to the discretion of the business. Um, but I also feel like the business attire has kind of gone a lot more casual than it was before. So, I mean, like wearing nice jeans and a nice top are acceptable at some business places. Some businesses are very corporate. So I think it's very personalized to the business itself. I have to ask, as a closet cleanser um, with more free time during the pandemic, especially in the early days, have our closets become neater or messier? Uh, messier. Messier, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And is that For just because sure. we, we, we know we, we stocked up on stuff from Amazon? We just stuffed it in our closet? Yep. And because I felt I feel like people weren't wearing as many of their clothes. Um, so they were just kind of getting like thrown in and left behind. Well, I mean, that's that's more business for you. I guess that's good news. Yes, it is good news. <laughs> Shannon, <laughs> thanks for the time today. Thank you very much. That is Shannon Lady. She is a personal shopper, a closet cleanser, and a wardrobe stylist, also the owner of Side Note, capping off our week-long look at the future of work today, focusing on etiquette and back-to-work fashion. Certainly applies to that regard. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Three medical officers of health in this province calling for a temporary province-wide mask mandate to help curb the transmission of COVID-19 as we uh, continue to be stuck in the sixth wave of the pandemic. Dr. Mustafa Hirji in Niagara region, as well as the medical officers of health in Windsor-Essex and Peterborough, have sent a joint letter to Ontario's chief medical officer of health, Dr. Kieran Moore, to bring in a temporary mask mandate across the province. And Dr. Hirji, the acting medical officer of health in Niagara region, joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Hirji, good morning. Good morning, Rick. So why send this joint letter to uh, Dr. Kieran Moore? Is the situation that dire? 
You know, definitely the situation is nowhere near as bad as most of our past waves have been. We actually have everything open in society, and I think rightly so. We're able to get back to enjoying the things that we've been able to maybe had restricted over the last couple of years. So that's definitely good news. That being said, the virus isn't gone, and we are definitely seeing some of the impacts of that. Lots of children missing school. Lots of people are unfortunately having to isolate periodically, miss work. And in our hospitals, we're seeing they are very busy. Here in Niagara, our major hospital system for the past three weeks has been dealing with a number of hospitalizations from COVID-19 equivalent to the second and third waves. So those are the waves back at the early part of 2021 and seeing that many number of people hospitalized and has actually had to ramp back the number of surgeries it's offering just to deal with that. So there's still lots of disruption from this virus. I think masks are a way where we can help stop that disruption. We can protect people's health so fewer people are actually suffering that hospitalization while we'll still be able to go about all of our activities and enjoy all the different things in society that are open. Well, we know that masks aren't the be-all and end-all. What would the impact be with a temporary mask mandate in Ontario? Yeah, you know, I th- there's some detail from the CDC that's really assessed the effectiveness of masks. And then what it shows is that when you wear a high-quality mask, like a uh, N95 respirator or something equivalent to that, it almost has the same impact as getting a vaccine did back in the pre-Omicron era. You know, we're talking over 80% protection getting COVID-19. Even a simple cloth mask, you're more than half cutting your odds of getting infection. Maybe it's not going to completely stop the wave, but it'll definitely reduce the impact of the wave, reduce the number of people who are suffering, reduce the um, disruption we're experiencing. And I think for this simple cost of wearing a mask and the little difficulty that is entails, it's definitely worth reducing some of the harm we're seeing from this wave. We're talking about a call for a temporary province-wide mask mandate from three medical officers of health in Ontario, one being our uh, guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Dr. Mustafa Hirji. He's the acting medical officer of health in Niagara region. Only three medical officers of health have signed this letter or agreeing to this call. Did others not agree with the stance? Did some not bother to join the call because they thought, hey, this is a fruitless endeavor? You know, we didn't have that detailed a conversation around that. You know, we definitely let other medical officers of health know that we were working on this letter and asked them if they wanted to join to contact us. But really, this is a conversation that the three of us were having very intently and thinking about the importance that we bring back masking, at least for a temporary period. And I I would say just at least only for a temporary period of time. So we can, you know, reduce some of the harm from this wave. You know, I can't really speak to the others because we didn't speak to them in person and, or one-on-one. What would be an adequate temporary period of time? We're talking a month, a couple months over the summer? Yeah, you know, I would hope it's actually much less than the entire summer. I think it would be probably, you know, I'd hope in the order of maybe four to six weeks. I don't want to set an uh, absolute timeline, though. I really think this should be based on what we're seeing with conditions on the ground with COVID-19. Once the risk of infection comes down, I think that's when you take the masks away. And my hope is that within a few weeks, we would see that. What does the COVID situation look like in Niagara region? Yeah, you know, we're definitely seeing lots of infections still right now. Um, There's certainly, I think, substantial risk when you're out there of getting COVID-19. Thanks to people being vaccinated, though, most people are actually doing okay when they get infection. There's very rarely people are getting hospitalized. But however, that does mean that, you know, with just the sheer number of infections we're having, we are still seeing lots of people hospitalized and hence the impacts on our hospital we're seeing. And it just makes sense that we could reduce that. And the one other thing I'm always mindful of is that people who get COVID-19, some of them end up with those long-term symptoms that we call long COVID. 
And if we can prevent that and we can prevent that long-term disability in people, I think that's worth it too, if we can do it in a way that's sustainable. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Dr. Mustafa Hirji, the Acting Medical Officer of Health in Niagara Region, one of three medical officers of health in this province, calling for a temporary province-wide mask mandate to help curb the spread of COVID-19. This, as you know, has become a political issue. There is a provincial election campaign underway. Do you think your idea is going to gain any traction with the Chief Medical Officer of health. Yeah, so you know, I really don't think the politics should be part of this. We very consciously wrote to the chief medical officer of health to keep it out of the political realm because I think, as you say, the campaign is happening. They're not focused on this issue. I think it's best for the chief medical officer of health to deal with it. And he showed real leadership a couple of weeks ago when the cabinet approved regulation on masking expired and they decided they weren't going to bring it back. He stepped in with his own order, continuing masking in places like hospitals and congregate settings on transit. And I think that was a really great move and some great leadership by him. And I'm hoping that he can build on that by extending the masking requirement a little bit more broadly until we get through this wave. Dr. Hirji, appreciate your time today. Thanks for your uh, time and enjoy the weekend. Thank you very much. That is Dr. Mustafa Hirji, Acting Medical Officer of Health with Niagara Region, one of three medical officers of health in this province calling for a temporary province-wide mask mandate. We know that the mask mandate for high-risk settings like hospitals and long-term care facilities uh, was set to expire April 27th. That has been extended province-wide until June 11th. Uh, Quebec, by the way, is going to drop its indoor mask mandate on May 14th, although they will continue to wear masks in those high-risk settings. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, it is back. Doors open Hamilton 2022 making a return after, well, you know what, uh, forced its uh, closure or cancellation of the past couple of years, and that being the COVID-19 pandemic. But it's back and here to share some of the news and what you can see is Shannon Kyle. She's the president of the Architectural Conservancy Ontario Hamilton Region Branch. Shannon, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm just fabulous. It's spring. It sounds like you are excited to be back with Doors Open. I've always loved Doors Open. It's such a great idea. I know people who uh, fly to Britain, fly to London for their Doors Open events. And let's hope we can do that in Hamilton sometime. Now, the question is, uh, you know, it was canceled the last uh, couple of years because of the pandemic. Will the people come back? Oh, I think so. I think there are a lot of people who are interested in architecture, good architecture. It's not just historic. It's it's good architecture. And it's also a chance to get out and see things and walk around in parks. I mean, there's some beautiful buildings and in fantastic settings to go and just hang out. And not only seeing the different and uh, and extraordinary architecture that our city has, but also learning the stories behind it. There's so many great venues, great locations that individuals or families can go to and learn about the history of that building as well. That's right. And and some of the histories are really interesting. Do you have a favorite location or, or a couple of locations in Hamilton that you want to highlight that people should definitely put on their list? My favorite location is Balfour House, also known as Shadok, and it's up by Mohawk College. It's about two blocks from Mohawk College. I had my students when I taught at Mohawk. I had them go over, I think, 2013, and I had, gosh, 150 students. And we went through and we drew the building. We measured it and drew it inside and out um, for the uh, Ontario Heritage Trust. And I absolutely grew to love that building, not just because it is a gorgeous substantial Georgian with Italianate detailing building, 
but the park that it's in, the setting, and this is the incredible thing about the older buildings like Dundurn Castle, like Ockmar, even the smaller buildings, even the gatehouse of Ockmar, they're just, when people built them, they thought about what their view was, where the wind was coming from, where they could put their orchard, that kind of thing. And the setting is just so spectacular. It really is one of the most spectacular settings in the city. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Shannon Kyles, President of the Architectural Conservancy Ontario Hamilton Region Branch. We're talking about Doors Open is uh, coming back and certainly coming back here in Hamilton this Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Is there a list of things that people are eager to see, i.e. what are the more busier places that people are going to flock to this weekend? Oh, Akbar, definitely. And there are tours going on. You can walk around the property, but there are also tours uh, right there. Dundurn Castle also has tours. If you want to have one of the inside tours, you have to, same with the Steam Museum, go to the Dundurn Castle or the Hamilton Steam Museum website and just book the tour. Everything's free, which is one of the great things about Doors Open. So it's a, it's an event where you can take your children. It's, it's for all ages. And you just get to go in inside these spectacular buildings and walk around the parks and the gardens that are associated with them. So definitely Ockmar, definitely uh, Dundurn Castle, the Hamilton Steam Museum is spectacular. There's also the um, lighthouse on Burlington Beach Road. Wow, that'd, that'd yeah. be cool too. I haven't done that yet. Um, when's the best time to go? Well, some of them are open on Saturday and some of them are open on Sunday. So I would say you know take a few hours both days <laughs> why I thought, not i thought you'd say I mean, that. it's free you get to go out and most of the most of the venues have parking as well that's a big plus too you can uh, check out the brochure online at doorsopenontario.on.ca forward slash hamilton you can also follow them on social media whether it's facebook instagram twitter uh, the event hashtag is doh22 or hashtag doors open hamilton is there anything new this year well, the Balfour House is new. Um, what else? Oh, there's a My Dundas tour. So anybody who's interested in Dundas, there's a tour um, that um, Stan Noah is running, and he will walk you through his ideas of, of uh, the history of Dundas and which buildings he likes the best. And then there's the uh, Cemetery Tour, which is always a big hit. Um, the Gore Park Tour, I think all three of those are new this year. Um, St. Augustine's in Dundas, I think, is a new site. The Millworks in Dundas, which is also known as the Shed Brewery, or it, I mean, that area, mm-hmm. both of those buildings are just gorgeous. And uh, you can have a beer while you're there. Why not? <laughs> it's a win win. Uh, yeah, lastly, lastly, we know that we're still in the COVID 19 pandemic. So, what COVID protocols should people be aware of? Well, I think most people are going to mask. Um, if you feel like masking, some people don't. I, it's a personal choice. It's not mandated. But I think many of the venues are very large. So it's not as if you're going to be um, squeezed into a small space with people. And even the tours, the, uh, am I, is this correct? I think it is. All the tours are outside. So probably 90% will be masking. Those people who are uncomfortable with masks or can't wear them for medical reasons um, won't be. But I, th- I think it should be pretty safe. I I can't see that there will be a problem. Excellent stuff, and that's good to hear. Shannon, appreciate the time. Uh, Good luck, and enjoy Doors Open Hamilton and Doors Open Ontario this weekend. Thank you so much for having me. See you at Doors Open. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast.
from 900 CHML. The latest recovery run for youth by the founder of Liberty for Youth here in Hamilton is nearing its end. So let's talk to him and find out how he's doing. Frederick Dryden in his, his name. He's the executive director and founder of Liberty for Youth. Frederick, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Hey, morning, Rick. How are you doing? I am good. How are you doing? I mean, your your 10-day run comes to an end tomorrow. How are you feeling? Rick, I'm in pain, <laughs> but uh, hey, I told my wife I fell in love again, and it's Epsom salts in my bath. <laughs> That's the trick, eh? Yeah, yeah. Your, yeah. Uh, your fundraising goal is $300,000 over the next three years. How are donations coming along, and how can our listeners help out? It's been fantastic, Rick. We've raised 135000 so far. And now listeners can just log on to Liberty for Youth and just click the recovery run, and they can easily make a donation or e-transfer. All the information is there. That's awesome. Yeah, that website again, libertyforyouth.org. Donate uh, as much as you can and help out uh, at-risk youth in our community. Now, as part of the recovery run for youth, you and some members of your youth council have also held some uh, speaking engagements. What message are you delivering? The message of hope is the key message. And Rick, you know what? It was so amazing. On Tuesday, some of our youth council, along with a young man that was formerly incarcerated, got to meet the chief of police and it was a diverse group or youth counselors, indigenous, black, all different cultures. They got to share 24 months of research and strategy with the chief of police. It was phenomenal. This morning we head off, we meet Chief Sanderson from the, the fire station and the EMS. And we're going to talk about behaviors throughout the pandemic and lockdown. Then I run into Brantford with the the, uh, the mayor of Brantford. And uh, again, we are focused on mental health for the next two days. And I have uh, a, a youth council member. She's a mental health survivor, Madeline. And she has developed three amazing strategies. So I'm so excited just to see these college and university students. The strategies they've taught me and they're teaching our community leaders is fantastic. It's pretty cool that police are also involved as well, because as you know, there's there's a disconnect between uh, those who are struggling and law enforcement, and sometimes those two sides don't get along. So uh, it, it's great to see them exchanging ideas. And you're right, Rick, and that's one of our outcomes. That's one of the reasons we have that partnership. And you know what? It's young people, what we want to do, we want to show uh, we're having young people lead this campaign so their peers are being inspired other young folks are calling we're getting emails from university students and college how can we get involved and that's what we want we want young people to get out and lead this campaign i'm just running i'm the guy in pain it's the youth that are speaking <laughs> Frederick Ryden is our guest. He's the executive director and founder of Liberty for Youth. Uh, he's holding a Recovery Run for Youth fundraiser. The goal is $300,000 over three years. They're almost halfway there, uh, and you can donate at libertyforyouth.org. Uh, you guys have some great programs from uh, Bright Choices to the LEAD program. Prodigal Sons is another. How do you formulate those, and, and what are you seeing from those programs in the youth that you're helping? Well, the right choices is really critical because we see that there's a client specifically in grade nine student accumulation throughout the pandemic. So we're launching a summer school program to help those students. And, you know, Prodigal Son is amazing. It's all about discipline, but we get youth that were formerly incarcerated on a basketball team and they play against the Hamilton police every summer. This, we are, we're actually playing June the 4th. So it's a great synergy to see at-risk youth uh, run with police as opposed to from police. And throughout the pandemic, 
The equine therapy, we have a 25-acre ranch. It's all about therapy and helping with mental health. It has been huge success, Rick. When, all, when schools were locked down with no graduation, we held graduation here for an entire week. It was packed with parents and because we didn't want kids to be robbed from such a strong accomplishment. So our programs are full. There's a big demand. That's why I'm running again. I love my city and I love young people. What would you think would be the status of local at-risk youth if Liberty for Youth was not a thing? Well, you know, that's a loaded question, Rick, but I, I really believe that the strength of Liberty Feud is the collaboration, all the people that are on board, you know, uh, the support that we get from uh, Leuna, who's allowing us to um, train 150 youth uh, to get employment through the trades. They're getting 14 certifications and we're paying them a living wage this summer, right? You think of the McKeel Family Foundation who allows to, to advance all these academic uh, certifications for kids. And then the RBC who has funded our mental health research research and is funding again you know our mental health strategy so i think the, the reason why we're effective is because the collaboration in hamilton you know so our guest on good morning hamilton on 900 chml frederick Ryden, executive director and the founder for liberty for youth he's going to end his recovery run for youth tomorrow at the seven r's ranch in brant county a facility that has really done a lot of good for youth in this community if there's a parent or a grandparent right now thinking you know my son or daughter or my grandkids might benefit from this program what are they going to get out of it well you know, there's an intake process where we meet the youth and meet the parent and we make sure that, the, that our program is specific for them because we're not the end all and be all, Rick. And we want to make sure that, you know, we have specific outcomes. And when they're intake into our program, right, we make a big commitment. At risk, you take five steps forward, three steps backwards. When we do an intake, it's a five-year commitment. That's why I run to raise money because, Rick, a lot of these funding, they, 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 they you know, funding cut after a year or two. And we don't want to turn away any young person that has as a hope you know so we make a big commitment up front that's why we run and raise uh funds like this so we can commit to the youth ultimately to the get their success and every youth that graduates high school we offer a scholarship again to the rat DeVries family to the hamilton burlington foundation every you get an opportunity for a three-year scholarship so we make a big commitment it's a great program in our city. Uh, Frederick, you're an inspiration to many. Good luck on uh, the last leg of the run. Thanks for joining us, and best of luck in the fundraising component as well. Hey, thank you, Hamilton. We couldn't do it without you. Have a great day, Rick. You too. Frederick Ryden, Executive Director and Founder for Liberty for Youth. Go online and you can donate to the fundraiser, libertyforyouth.org. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hamilton Bulldogs opening up their second round OHL playoff series last night against the Mississauga Steelheads. And it was another Hamilton victory. 4-2 the final score. They take game one in style. Steve Stales is the president and general manager of the Bulldogs and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Steve, welcome back to the show. Hey, good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. Yourself? Doing good. Thank you. Another big win last night. You guys are rolling. Yeah, it's uh, uh, certainly a different series uh, than we faced in the first round against Peterborough, which was a little bit of chaos uh, uh, and physicality kind of ensued by the opponent. And last night was a more of a really solid hockey game. I mean, Mississauga plays a very strategic game, and so it was a nice 
it was a different pace for us, for sure. Um, and uh, no, our, our team played well and really showed the depth of our group. It seemed like the first period especially, uh, it looked like both teams were trying to figure each other out and you know, where are the soft spots that we can attack on defense and what do we have to be mindful of uh, in our own zone. What did you gain from last night's uh, 4-2 win? Uh, no, I think that's a fair comment. That's consistent with most game ones in any series. I think you learn a lot about your opponent. We we obviously, and especially with the schedule this year, um, playing only the East predominantly, uh, we got to know our opponents pretty well. But um, uh, yeah, it's a little bit more of a strategic game. I think there's we're going to have to show a lot of patience through the series. Uh, uh, they're very, very good defensively and have strong goaltending and are looking to capitalize on on any turnovers. Um, you know, and for our boys last night, I think it was really a strong showing of of that, just patience and, and playing with pace and continuing to stay, stick with the game plan and uh, uh, overall a solid effort for us. Hamilton has recorded 15 consecutive wins dating back to the regular season. Um, I think you've lost like four games since the turn of the calendar, which is just mind-boggling. And I know you don't want to jinx this winning streak, but it seems like the team has not taken its foot off the gas pedal. Well, just the mindset of this group, Rick, is really something special. Uh, They're an incredibly determined, motivated group. Uh, They love being around each other and playing uh, and competing. And so I think that's led to, you know, our success. Uh, um, it's only going to get tougher. I think the one thing we have is respect for our opponent. We will never come into a game taking it lightly. And again, just the makeup of the group and the character, they love to compete. Uh, they love to play I and mean, they take a lot of pride in it. So, um, you know, we'll consistently uh, have good efforts and with the strong goaltending we've had and the depth that we have in our lineup, it's a different player every night, really. I mean, we could look at every player scoring key goals or making key plays on the defensive side of the puck, and it's been fun to watch. There are a couple of guys I want to focus on with uh, Steve Steos, president and general manager of the Hamilton Bulldogs. As you're listening into Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, one of those two guys is Mason McTavish. He had two goals last night. His first goal, which broke open the game in the first period, was just nasty. And it really showcased his speed, his stick handling, his hockey IQ. I mean, everything on that uh, guy's chart was checked off. I know that one player doesn't make a team, but how big of an addition has Mason been? Oh, enormous, really. I mean, he's the best player in the CHL for me. And uh, I think the one thing people talk about is his shot. Now, I think it's his hockey IQ that really stands out for me. He really knows the game. He's highly competitive. There's really no holes in his game. Sometimes you have prospects, uh, NHL prospects, uh, that got picked in, in that area code of the top five. And they're either, you know, really strong offensively or have something dynamic about them. Mason has it all. I, I recall talking to a team, an NHL team, even though Mason wasn't with us, but they're asking me about him because they knew I see him all the time. I just said he's the real deal. Um, so uh, and leadership and, you know, seamless like, you know, he's he's just a part of the team. He comes in and, and there is no. Uh, you know, no no real transition period for him as well. So the character and leadership's there along with all the qualities that he possesses on the ice and fun for our fans to watch and a great addition for our team. Uh, the other guy who stood out to me uh, last night and, and certainly down the stretch is goaltender Marco Costantini. We have about 45 seconds. How how vital is it to have a goaltender playing at his level, knowing that that breeds a lot of confidence throughout the lineup? Well, even last night, it was a bit understated and t- typical. I think Marco's personality, he just wants to go out and do his 
do his job and he you know but he made some major saves last night he's just a calming influence for our group he uh exudes that quiet confidence and and uh you know you can't have the success that we're having without solid goaltending and marco is up for goaltender of the year and rightfully so and i hope uh you know they recognize him for that because to me he's been the top goaltender uh, this year, uh, throughout the season, consistently. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're we're really fortunate to have him and him playing at the level that he is. Game two is Sunday as the Bulldogs look to go up two nothing on Mississauga. You can get your tickets at HamiltonBulldogs.com. Steve, appreciate the time. Good luck on Sunday and the rest of the way. Thank you, Rick. Have a great day. You too. That's Steve Stales, president and general manager of the Hamilton Bulldogs, as they get set to uh, take on the Steelheads on Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe Subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.